Welcome to Coffee with Jamie, a show about how to get unstuck from some of life's stickiest stuff, like burnout, divorce, loss, and more. Here is your host, Jamie Finney. Hello there. (laughs) Welcome and thank you for joining me. This is the Coffee with Jamie show. It's a show about getting unstuck. I am your host, Jamie Finney. Good morning. <laughs> oh, man. Before we, we dig in, um, this is such a funny one. So I'm, I'm going to be continuing the conversation of the tiny challenges theme. And I kind of want to, before I dig in, recap a little bit of the craziness that was last week. So just in case you tried to tune in and maybe you heard ads and then suddenly it was the show that had aired week the week before. So what happened is, you know, usually these shows run pretty smoothly and I always get super nervous before we start. And then if things do go wrong, it's like this stress reaction, right? Because these are live and it's like, you want to do well. <laughs> anyway, so last week, the show's engineer, Matt, and I had just a really hard time connecting. We could not connect. We are, you know, this show's done remotely. I'm at home, Matt's in studio in Arizona, and we couldn't connect. We tried and tried and tried. And um, so, yeah, if if you heard you know, ads. And then it was like a repeat. You listened for a while and then you heard, it's like, wait a second, this is last week's show. You know, that was, um, that was just so we wouldn't have dead air because we couldn't get it connected. And, you know, we decided that we would try again the next day to record the show and then post it. And we did, we recorded on Thursday afternoon, but let me tell you, um, my headspace at 7 a.m. versus, you know, 1.30 p.m. on a Thursday afternoon. It's so different. And I hadn't really had that experience before, but it was such a, like a valuable learning experience that, you know, I am a morning person. (laughs) And and it's interesting because around, you know, I do most of my work. I wake up really early, um, usually in the four o'clock hour. And and then I get most of my stuff done by noonish. And then, you know, the rest of the day is like, I don't know, whatever needs to be done. Um, but last week on Thursday was just a little different. I had kind of an off day with my work projects. And so by the time 1.30 came around and I was like, uh, with the, you know, the show, I wasn't in the headspace to share this amazing story that I have, but I went, you know, we did it, we went through it and, and then my voice was all dry and crackly and I don't know, man, it was just a rough go and we posted it. So if you heard an episode five, um, this will be um, very much similar to that, but we, I decided to pull it down because it just wasn't, when I listened back at it, I thought, oh boy, (laughs) I was just really off. My energy was off and I don't want to do that to you. If you're taking the time to listen, I want to be the best, you know, the best version. I mean, we all have off days, right? It was just a batch of off days for me. I'm hoping today, you know, I feel it today. I feel better. Um, the connection, we had a little rough go today too, but we got it nailed down on time. So Matt, thank you for uh, working with me through these challenges. Ken, I want to thank Ken, my significant other, who I was having microphone issues, you know, an hour before the show. So 
yeah, it takes, it takes all these people to help me when I get to a certain point of stuck, I just need help. So it's okay to ask for help, right? All right. Well, digging in. All right. So let's dig in. Um, first, I have an amazing mug, an amazing mug memory that goes with this mug. I've already posted it on Instagram, um, but I have this amazing mug with an owl on it. And inside my mug today, I have, again, same from last week, um, I have my very quick and easy taster's choice of coffee crystals. So I, I don't know. Some people laugh at me for liking these, but I love them. I think they're delicious. So um, yes, I know there's better coffee out there, but I'm, I'm down with the taster's choice coffee crystals. So yeah. Anyway, if you have better coffee you want to share, by all means, share it with me. Shoot me an email. I'll give you all that contact information at the end of the show. Now my mug memory, normally I would put that right here, but I want to share the story of picture this clothing today and how tiny challenges actually gave me the space to create that amazing company with my, who he's now my husband, but he was my boyfriend at the time. So if I say my boyfriend, I mean, Ken, Ken's the guy. And he, we, we ended up getting married a couple, couple of years ago during the pandemic. Um, but yeah, so you know, Ken and I have been together a while. We've been through a lot of stuff, but tiny challenges was actually the thing that gave me space in my life to, um, to get to this point of launching this amazing company. And so I'm going to share that story with you today. Um, but I want to lead up to it a little bit. And at the end, then I'm going to share my mug memory because there's sort of a, a picture of this tie-in. All right. All right. So bear with me. We're going to do this. I'm going to take you on a little journey today. So, um, you know, we, we covered in episode four, um, the concept of tiny challenges, and I don't want to leave you hanging. If you didn't get to that episode and you're just starting now, um, what I refer to as tiny challenges started as monthly. It was basically a monthly challenge experiment that I started to push myself through a bunch of personal fears and boundaries and, and being stuck. Um, you know, and I've, I've shared that story in episodes across the previous four episodes, but over time and with the collaboration of friends and, and more people, not only supporting through encouragement, but also supporting through participation with me on tiny challenges, it became a thing. And, and now it's a thing that anytime I find myself sort of like in the stuck, in the space of feeling stuck, in the space of feeling unmotivated. Um, if I, you know, I have had uh, depression in the past and I, I, it's a dark, dark space. And I'm not saying that there's any clinical, uh, you know, support here with tiny challenges. That's not the relationship I'm trying to make, but I'm, I'm saying that I've used tiny challenges to pull myself out of some very dark spaces um, but it also, you know, when I go back, it's, it's the sort of culmination of the six steps that I walk through here on here and tiny challenges happens to be number four in the process. So number four of six steps. All right. So I've shared pieces of my own story. I've shared some of the experiences with loss, with burnout, with divorce, being an independent mom, um, I, I never intend for these stories to come across as like a poor me, by the way. I, you know, I share these stories because I know from putting these stories out there in the past, there are lots of people out there who've experienced similar things. There are so many folks going through 
far heavier things than my own experiences, but I share what I've got because it's honest, it's real. And, um, and having had to pull myself out of some pretty dark places, I found some things that work for me. And I, I, I just find every time I'm feeling stuck and burned out and struggling to get out of bed or move off the couch, like this is, this is the thing, the process I go through. And um, so maybe, you know, if you're not sure what to do, you don't know how to get unstuck. Maybe it's the thing you could at least try. And if it works for you, I'd love to hear about it. If it doesn't work for you, um, I think that'd be fair to share too. You know, I'd love to hear your experiences if you're trying things. But but here's one of the coolest things about tiny challenges. Now I talk about my six steps and I always kind of work through this sequence, but the coolest thing about tiny challenges is that they can be done on their own. You might not be ready to even consider the idea of six whopping steps. I get that. And, you know, for me, that retrospect, like being able to have the hindsight as 2020 about the whole thing, I didn't even know at the time that I was going through six steps. It's taken, you know, getting somewhere, getting out, having some success, and then having to go through the process again and again. It's taken all of that for me to be able to look back and go, oh my gosh, there's actually six very clear things I can break out of this. And then tiny challenges, one of the six is is a standalone. It works really well as a standalone. So um, so yeah, if you're not sure where to stop, start, um, this is something that you can do in two minutes or less a day for a defined period of time. You define the period of time. I tend to go monthly with mine, but there have been times when you know, I've had to break it down smaller. And if you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you may recall the story where I talked about one breath at a time, because sometimes more than that is too much for whatever we've got to deal with in life. So, you know, take it at your own pace. That's the beauty of tiny challenges is that you break down whatever your challenge is and you, you take it at your, you scale it at your own pace. Um, it can be done for fun. It can be done for deeper, more meaningful reasons. I tend to run the gamut <laughs> of that. And if you're interested in testing the waters with, with this tiny challenge stuff, I encourage you to go back and listen to at least episode four, if you haven't, or head over to tinychallenges.com. And I've put together a website and, and I got to say it was, you know, I put it together about seven years ago, um, but it's tiny challenge ideas and starters. There's a whole year's worth of challenges there to help get you started if you don't know where to start. And, and this is so not a, a sales pitch. It's completely informational. It's just meant to give folks a starting point because I've been stuck and it's no good. And I just want to help other folks get out of that sticky stuff, you know? All right. So, um, all right. So last time I shared the how and the why um, behind these little ch tiny challenges and how they got started. And, it, you know, it was after the loss of my dad, these little challenges are what helped me find at first, it was just like this pinhole of light at the end of a very, very dark tunnel. Um, I was in a space that was no good. And um, I failed a few times before I completed my first full month of teeny tiny challenges. And, you know, I think I referred to the, the today I learned hashtag um, TIL. It, it was, it was that that kind of helped me 
um, complete my first challenge. So again, all in episode four for that one, but eventually, you know, it, it, by completing one monthful of these teeny tiny challenges after several attempts and failures of, of accomplishing goals and reaching the end point, um, I set a very defined period of time, 30 days, one word a day, at least with a hashtag. And I set a little alarm on my phone to get me to make sure that I did it like a check-in point right before bed every night with enough time, you know, like a 10 minute window to actually knock something out and think about it and post it um, before I went to bed. So I set myself up for success. I learned how to do that throughout the process. And, um, and then eventually, you know, that provided this pinhole of light in my dark, dark tunnel. And once there was a pinhole of light, it was like a spark of hope. And eventually I, I kept going, you know, that when you see a pinhole of light in the darkness, it's kind of like, okay, if you can grab onto that, maybe poke your finger in it and, and then it gets a little bigger and then eventually you can grab it with both hands and tear it open. Right. <laughs> and so, so, um, you know, doing these small daily tasks in one month sprints and then sharing them aloud became more than a pinhole of light for me. It became momentum. And eventually my entire career path became more aligned with my compass of intention. Episode one, if you haven't hit that one yet, but what that is, my compass of intention is what's important to me. So the more I started doing this, and the more I started having like this awareness of this list of things, my compass of intention, what's important to me, everything started like shifting toward the better. It was slow. It was, you know, steering a ship in, you know, massive ship in, in icy waters, I think. But it, it, you know, once you start the turn, the shift starts to happen. And for me, I started um, combining, you know, and figuring out like, okay, what's my compass of intention? Here's what's important. What are my goals? What do I want? My big bulky desires. I started thinking through those and, and writing things down and then looking at what was stopping me. And then also like, what do I have to work with? Right. When we look at what's stopping us, we also want to address the tools that we actually have that might help us get to those big bulky desires. And that also align with our, our compass of intention. So for me, I started combining all my tech product design background and skills. You know, I have a lot of skills. Um, I always say it's my Mary Poppins bag full of tools, 20 years worth of experience. Um, and then I was adding to these tools with coaching and speaking and mentoring experience as I was learning out loud and sharing things. So in, in this shift in my career, I left a role as a director of user experience for a high-end mobile web experience company um, into serving tech companies instead through the support and the design of internal systems like onboarding processes and uh, pitch processes and uh, career development paths for creative and development team employees, the, you know, helping design the overall employee experience inside companies. So that's what my career evolved into. And I, I loved it. And along the way, I found myself with more space in my life. And so I, I don't, if you call back to my compass of intention, one of my items was create more space in my life. And that was all about you know, not being one of those people saying, I don't have time because I'd found myself in that space where that was my number one excuse 
almost all the time. There were times when I said, well, I can't afford that. Uh, I want to do this, but I can't afford it. I want to do this, but I don't have the skill set. I need to learn, you know, a few things or whatever. Like those things come up too. But my number one was always, I don't have time. I don't have time to do this. Um, And so once I started addressing that, how can I have more time? How can I build more time into my life? How can I own my time? Once I started making that a really conscious um, effort and these tiny challenges and designing my work schedule, because now I had you know grown into this sort of coaching for both companies and individuals, um, it was allowing me to own my schedule. I slotted calls and flights and you know office visits and all those things that we don't have during an, a pandemic, but you know calls and stuff. I was scheduling them at my convenience and when I wanted to take them. So this is giving me all this time, right? So tiny challenges is what helped me get there. I was tiny challenging my way into all of of this, you know, sort of understanding how to manage my time. So when my kids said, mom, can we go to the park? I could say, yes, I could drive them to school. I could pick them up from school when there's a track day, track and field day, or, you know, when Zia inevitably gets called to the principal's office, that's another story for another day. Um, I can go without, you know, without any worry. I have time in my day. I can go see what happened at school that Zia had to be called to the principal's office. And so, yeah, (laughs) I could say, yes, I have time. And after a couple of years of iterating my way through things I was doing, um, you know, doing all this stuff, setting my own schedules and working exactly as much as I wanted to. And on the financial side, it seemed like things were just getting better and better too. So, you know, that was like a happy byproduct, but one day, so yeah, one day I'm at work, um, which is at home in you know 2014, I think this is, but my kids are home on their Christmas break. So I'm working from home way before the pandemic. <laughs> it's Christmas break. So I've got kids at home and my day wraps up. Usually when I'm, I'm doing coaching stuff, I try to wrap my day up around 11 a.m. or noon, but they're home. Zia, who's almost seven years old at the time. And just as I finished my last client call of the day, Zia brings me this drawing that she'd been overworking on. You know, she that's often a thing we do. Kids got to keep the kids busy um, while you're working from home. Well, it's like give them some crayons and paper or markers or whatever. And she had some crayons and she'd drawn this amazing rainbow dress. And so as soon as I was off my call, she'd been like waiting to eagerly show me this drawing and she brings it over and it's this amazing rainbow dress and she's so proud of it. And as I am like looking at this incredible creative drawing that she did, it occurred to me that, you know, I could probably make that dress, like bring it to life, right? I I have a a sewing machine that my sister bought for me a few years back. I I have 4-H level sewing skills. I took some, you know, sewing classes. I think I had a home ec class in high school all those years ago. But, you know, I have some basic sewing skills. I know how to alter clothes and, and do stuff like that. So um, I also have a, I have a art sculpture degree. So um, just enough confidence in all of this to think I can pull off something good enough for a six-year-old to wear a few times and then, I don't know, leave in a pile on the bedroom floor with everything else, right? So I, I say to her, I'm like, hey, Zia, do you want to make this dress real? And she's like, yeah. And so I say, okay, so get ready. Let's go to the fabric store. Let's pick out some fabrics, bring the drawing so we can make sure that we have, you know, great accuracy. And, and so we did that. She brings the, the drawing with her, we go to the fabric store and she picks like all 
lycra, like all spandex, right? It's um, that shiny, stretchy legging fabric. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've got like hot pink and bright, vibrant yellow and neon green and uh, this glittery purple and uh, almost like a purple lame and like a brilliant blue. Anyway, all of the red, um, all of the colors that she had, there's an orange in there from this drawing we, she picked out. And I think it was, it was nearly a hundred dollars worth of fabric and supplies um, that we ended up taking home with us. And I bought extra because I'm not super, you know, I knew I'd, I'd mess up a few times in this process, but anyway, so we get home. I start the the process of making this dress. I've got time. Um, and it takes me about 12 hours across the next three days sprinkled in between some work from home obligations. And then, you know, around like the 12th hour of the, the third day of working on this, um, I have Zia try on the dress to make sure it's, it's fitting. And, um, you know, it still needed some finish work, like the edges, the hem, the collar, it was, it's still a little sloppy, but I was like, let's just make sure we're on track here before I, you know, finish it. And I put it on her and she, she just exclaims like with, the most endearing enthusiasm. She's like, I'm wearing my imagination. And oh my gosh. And she didn't want to take it off. Um, she didn't care if I finished the collar of the hem. For her, this was it. It was perfect. And as a parent, that experience, not the experience of not having to finish it, that was kind of a bonus, but the experience of, of seeing her joy, that pure joy of something, you know, being able to wear something that she had an idea, she put it on paper, and then we brought it to life. Like that experience was, I, I seriously, like a landmark parenting moment for me. <laughs> so I, and I just figured, you know, if she's okay with it, I'm okay with it. I, I wasn't really expecting that she would wear it nonstop for like the next six months. I mean, everywhere she went, she would wear this dress and she would get compliments on how amazing this dress was. So people would be like, oh my gosh, where did you get this dress? And she would be like beside herself, right? She was, she's like, I designed it with my mind. <laughs> you know, it's the only one in the world. And she was just absolutely proud of this thing. And, and people would just be like, that's amazing. And after a few months of this, Ken said, you know, you've got something here. If we could help other parents and kids experience what you two have experienced with this dress, wouldn't that be amazing? And to be honest, my immediate reaction was no, <laughs> like absolutely not. I'm not going to do this for other kids. It took me 12 hours. And he, like, this was like, the drawing was pretty simple. It was just like color blocks. Right. And I'm thinking like, have you seen what kids draw with their imaginations? <laughs> no way. No way. Anyway, the idea scared me. I couldn't imagine doing this for multiple kids, but, and, and then we even ran some numbers. Like if we were to do what I had done for Zia, um, at scale, it, it was going to cost like, you know, to, to do it ethically was going to be like $300 a dress. Who can afford that? Um, you know, and, and so we, we just kind of shelved the idea, you know, without outsourcing it overseas for like 10 cents a day. 
um, which is just un, no, unacceptable for us. And so what we decided is just shelf the idea for a while. And here's a cool thing about Ken. When, um, when he's on to something like this, like an idea like this that he's excited about, it kind of just, it's like a, a bread raising and, you know, getting ready to be baked. <laughs> so it's, it's in the raising, like loaf dough raising, getting ready. It's that phase for him. So it's like the dough is there and it's raising. And um, so after, actually, I think it was a couple months went by of it kind of just baking or raising in Ken's brain. He um, follows up and he's like, you know, with the dress idea, what if, what if instead of actually recreating the drawing like you did for Zia, what if they actually just wear the the actual drawing? Like if there were a way to enlarge the drawing and print that on the fabric and then make that, you know, if, if that's it, that would be a simplified version of, of this. And so, you know, after some back and forth, it w- it came down to this. You print out a coloring sheet at home with a dress or a t-shirt on it. Um, the kid can design it any way they imagine, and then a parent can upload that a photograph of that design to our website, and we're going to send it back ready to wear. It's handmade in the USA. It's uh, yeah, ready to go, and it's it's exactly exactly what they drew, um, rather than an interpretation or a recreation. Now, this when he said this stuff, I was like on board immediately. I was like, that I can subscribe to. <laughs> so so we um, recruited a couple of friends, Ignacio, Stefan. Um, these were folks who could fill some gaps that we couldn't fill, um, logistics and uh, creating a website. So um, some branding. Um, so yeah, so with the help of Ignacio and Stefan, Ken and I were able to bring this idea to life in about 10 months. And so Ken and I focused on, you know, figuring out the prototypes and the pattern shape and, and Stefan um, helped us figure out who was going to manufacture it. And we ended up finding somebody local to us here in Las Vegas, just 15 minutes from our house. And we looked all over, you know, the United States for someone who could help us do this. We were turned down by many people because it was just one-offs, one-of-a-kind items. But the guy here in Vegas said, you know, you can provide print-ready files. I will do the print cut and sew um, aspect of it. You come pick them up. You take them wherever you need to take them and pack them and ship them. We got a deal. So um, we had we had the website ready. We had somebody who could make these, bring them to life if we provided the print files. And so, you know, it was like the end of July, 2016. Um, and we tested it with a few friends. So we, you know, sent a few friends. We said, Hey, we have this thing. Can you test it? They tested it through our website. They were able to place an order, you know, print out the coloring sheet, have their kid design it, um, place the order and then, you know, give us a little feedback. And so we made a few adjustments and then we were like, well, I guess it's just ready to share. Like there's nothing else we can do here, but share it. And so um, we launched this company on August 17th of 2016 at uh, 6.22 a.m. via a single tweet from my personal Twitter account. That was the extent of our big launch of our amazing idea. Um, But what happened was kind of mind-blowing. Um, so my Twitter account, like I am fairly well known in the iOS world. I have, you know, I'd like, I think I had about 7,000 followers. I'm not like famous by any means, right? <laughs> like, whoa, 7,000 followers. But I think I had like 7,000 followers. But I think somebody 
who saw my tweet. My tweet was really simple. It was, um, hey, check out some things some friends and I made with a link to picturethisclothing.com and a nice photo of Zia wearing her dress while holding the coloring sheet of the exact same dress. And, um, you know, and this is a new one that we made, not the original that, that I had handmade, but this was a new one with our new sort of process and the simplification and the printing of the actual hand-drawn artwork. So it's all very, you know, very easy to understand what exactly this product is, what it's about. And um, I think it just got shared. It got shared. Um, and by the end of the day, it was funny. Like we were like, oh, the website crashed. What's going on? Um, and we, you know, started kind of poking around and we discovered that TechCrunch had written an article about us. Same day, same day of the launch, um, an article was posted. And I had, I suspected because a few hours before we discovered the, you know, website crash or whatever, I'd received an email from someone I didn't know at TechCrunch who um, asked a few questions, but it was very, you know, there was nothing about, I'm going to do an article on you. Nothing like that. It was just like, hey, you know, are you part of a larger, larger organization, you know, part of Mattel or something? And it was, nope, we're just, you know, like, four people and an idea and we did it scrappy and fast. And we just put out like the most basic form of this idea that we could, we launched with only dresses. And anyway, we had a tech crunch write up by the end of the day. And, um, the craziest thing about that was, um, so like that day we, you know, TechCrunch article, the next day there was a, a little feature um, on Product Hunt, a website called Product Hunt, which was cool. That gave us some great buzz. The next day um, I got a call from, or a message from somebody who wrote for a, a mom blog um, for Disney's, it was called babble.com at the time. Now it's just Disney proper, like a family blog. But at the time it was Disney's babble.com. She called and interviewed me and she posted her write-up a couple days later. And after her write-up went up, it was picked up by the Huffington Post. It was picked up by um, Insider, you know, Business Insider. It was picked up by Board Panda, all these mom blogs, Board Panda and Scary Mommy and um, eventually we started getting calls from, like we got uh, calls from producers for shows like the Michaela show um, HLN network show in LA. They flew us to LA so that we could be on that. And we were invited to the Harry Connick Jr. show. They flew us to New York, interviewed us there. We were on there. So it was just like this crazy, um, you know, explosion of buzz. And it, it just kept going for about eight months. Every time something would start to slow down, something new would pick it up. And, you know, in the early first week, somebody else had done a, a Zoom inter, you know, interview with me or a Skype interview with me. And they were, it's a news entity called Now This. And um, so, you know, they did a video interview and then they cut it together and it posted about a week later. So, you know, some of the buzz from the TechCrunch and stuff was starting to die down, but then they posted their video and it got, um, it hit almost 3 million views in the first 24 hours and, you know, went viral and hit just over 40 million views by the time it sort of died down. So that, that was pretty crazy. Right. And it was just this really cool video that showed, you know, the enthusiasm and the story. And it was a really well done. I thought a really sweet video. And from there, you know, it was even more George Takei picked it up and, and 
tweeted about it um, and Facebook posted about it. Ashton Kutcher um, picked it up and did their own video on his uh, A plus network and um, posted about it. Amy Poehler smart girls called us back for, you know, an interview for um, yeah. In LA. It was just, I mean, it was just like ongoing, ongoing. And, um, and, and it was really cool actually, but the most amazing part of it was as the orders started rolling in we had one day where we did $10,000 worth of sales in one day. And we were, we hadn't even shipped a single product at that point. And it was scary. I mean, everything that broke that could break broke, um, you know, on our technology side. I mean, it was just, and, and this is, you know, not to mention this was a, a side hustle for us. All, all four of us involved on this project um, had day jobs, so to speak. Like we were all uh, independent, you know, we work for ourselves, but we all had other full-time commitments going on. I, at the time was a COO for a, a, you know, I was a contract COO um, and then also coaching. And so I had like a pretty full plate, right? But this came in and it, it, you know, suddenly there's all this media stuff. I was getting about 200 emails a day um, with questions, you know, can I do this? Can I do that? And you hate boys. We had launched with only dresses because it was the simplest form. T-shirts were going to take us an extra six months to to figure out. And, and you know, they have sleeves and collars and the the back panel is slightly different than the front panel. And if you've ever assembled a t-shirt, you know, it's a different construction than a dress that can be identical panels, two identical panels sewn together. So, you know, we just started with what was simple just to see if people would even do it. Like, would people even like it? Like, we don't want to sink a ton of time and money into something that then, you know, nobody goes to the website takes the time to print out this coloring sheet, let their kid design it and then come back to place the order. That's what it required. And, you know, it turned out that we proved the concept, you know? And, and so with all of these orders and all of these challenges coming up, um, you know, we were, we were slammed and it was a good thing, like great problems to have. Right. And um, the, the coolest thing though, is once we started shipping these products, the best reward was exactly what we had hoped for with the concept in the first place. And if you kind of call back to what Ken had said, like if we could re-allow parents and their kids or, you know, to re to ha- have the same experience that you and Zia had with that first dress, that first magical moment, you know, it's like she drew a thing, you brought it to life. And when she put it on, it was magic, Right recreating that experience. Well, that's what was happening. We started getting emails from our customers with photos of their kid and a huge smile. Now, you know, we took our fair share of hate. This is ugly. This is stupid. Why not fabric markers? It, you know, it, it like we got it all. Like it's very different from fabric markers because you can actually do anything. It doesn't have to be crayons or markers or paint, you could do, we've seen everything. We've seen, you know, gumballs and food, peanut butter and jelly, Play-Doh, 3D objects, Legos, you know, like whatever you can put on top of that piece of paper, take a smartphone photo and upload to us. Like we're going to be able to do that on print it on this garment and put it together and, and, you know, send it back. And then another really cool sort of detail of care is on the coloring sheet, there's a signature line and the kid gets to sign their name to it. Right. And when they sign their name to it, um, that 
little detail gets printed inside the hem. It's like designed by, you know, we'll say Zia, designed by Zia, their name in their handwriting gets printed inside the hem. So it's a keepsake beyond the the wear of the garment, right? Like you can, I would keep this thing. Like it's, it's a really amazing little thing. And if you keep the template too, you get to see that sort of magic come together. It's like, oh my gosh, I put this on paper and now it's real. Like what? It's mind blowing for kids and it's so cool. And so every day, every day in my inbox, I was getting, you know, new pictures of parents were sending pictures of their amazing, awesome kids with their amazing, awesome designs. And one of the coolest pieces of it was the confidence and the joy that you could see in these kids um, with those photos. And, you know, if you want to have a look, if you're interested, if you're a Facebook user, facebook.com slash picture this clothing, um, or just go to our website, picturethisclothing.com. It's still, still alive and well. Um, it's slowed down with the pandemic, but let me share a couple really amazing highlights with you. Um, we were 100% self-funded. There were no loans, no investors to this, um, just self-done, you know, a lot of time a lot of our own expense, but we did $1.2 million in sales in the first 18 months. So that was pretty amazing. We put it all back into growing the company. Um, We built our own proprietary software in year two because we were running into a lot of challenges with things that existed that really didn't support one-of-a-kind um, items, you know, it's just like, they're great if you have mass quantity or inventory of, of product, but not great if you have one of a kind, um, unique creations. And that's what we were creating here. Um, we also, we were able to build out our own manufacturing. We brought it in-house in year three, um, so that we could kind of really learn and understand the process and try to improve some things in it because we had like a 30 day turnaround. We were able to drop that back down to 10 to 15, you know, it was was 10 at one point. And now we pushed it back out to, to 15, just because it's become slow now, but those, um, you know, those first, three years in particular were just amazing and and going, going, going. And, and Ken and I, you know, poured all our heart, time and energy toward building this picture, this clothing. And um, it kind of derailed my whole, um, I have time in my life thing. And it, so interestingly, uh, I didn't have time again, suddenly. So I suddenly found myself saying, oh my gosh, I don't have time any, anymore. I got to go to a shop and I got to, you know, help make sure these orders get filled and doing everything from, you know, packing and shipping to hand cutting the items myself with the team. And it's a very small team, but um, Ken manually, you know, he, he edits the images with an amazing woman named Luba. And so, yeah, like they, they handle this stuff and we, I don't know, very small, very nimble team, but um, with the pandemic, things really slowed down for us. So, you know, we've had, um, I guess it just is one of those things, right? Like we've had, we built something amazing. Um, It was very overwhelming in terms of time for a a long time. Um, Another really cool bonus that we, we cultivated some really awesome communities, um, over a hundred thousand over on Facebook, more than 30,000 on Instagram, who we love and care about. we got a really strong email list as well. Um, 4.9 stars out of five in customer experience ratings. So like super cool, you know, we're, we're really proud of what we built. We love it. But at the same time, um, man, you can kind of get burned out. And then when the pandemic hit, 
it was kind of like, we didn't know how it was going to go. Right. The first year, everybody was looking for stuff for their kids to do uh, while they were stuck at home. So picture this clothing was an amazing thing to do. Um, and, but then, you know, you go into year two of a pandemic and there's uncertainty, you know, there's unemployment, loss of jobs, uncertainty in the job you have. Is it going to last? Is my company going to last? So, you know, things like picture this clothing, which tend to be sort of a luxury item, um, albeit a very creative and awesome one, um, you know, they fall to the bottom of the list. And so our sales really, really, really slowed down. And, you know, instead of breaking even or, you know, making a killing or whatever, we never made a killing. I mean, the the early sales, we put all back in. So it was, you know, yes, there were great sales when things were viral, but, you know, the reality is that everything settles down and there's a, you know, a normal day to day, but it dropped below breaking even. And so we were pumping money into it. And after a while, we're just like, man, is this even, you know, of course it's worth it, but it's very draining, um, both financially and emotionally. And, so we just kind of backed off, you know, to meet the demands. We really only needed to be there one or two days a week. Um, and Wilson, our team member, could handle a lot of everything that happens at the shop. So Ken and I go in. Now we've scaled our time back. So it still goes. We um, trust our team to handle the things that we really don't need to be involved in every single day. Um, and, you know, Wilson keeps the shop running during the week. And we go check in and, you know, after a few years of working together, we trust the man. He's good at what he does and yeah, keeping things going for us, which has given us some time to, uh, to do some other things and kind of think of, you know, I was starting to feel burned out again. I think I mentioned that. I think the pandemic has had a lot of effect on a lot of people and, um, it definitely affected me after, you know, the first year it didn't affect me so much. I was like, this is great. I'm such an introvert in a homebody. Anyway, I, I don't mind this, but, um, not great, but, you know, trying to be positive, have a positive outlook on the situation, but, um, you know, and then, you know, I've got two daughters home with me and my oldest was already doing online school. She's very introverted and preferred that. So it worked out for her, but my youngest Zia is a very extroverted personality and really relies on that social aspect of school. And I think kids in general rely on a social aspect of, you know, public school or whatever school being in outside the house school, not online school. And so, you know, we really saw and experienced a lot with Z. Um, you know, Z called the suicide lifeline twice. We had visitors from child protective services as a result. We had the police visit. Um, you know, we've had a lot of ups and downs with Z. And I'm happy to say that now she's been back in school since seventh grade started and things are looking up, but man, it also takes a toll on you as a parent. And I don't know if you can hear um, the emotion in my voice, but it's been a tough one. <laughs> and, um, mm, just gather myself here for a second, but you know, you go through these life events and it's like, you can come out on top and still have the wind completely knocked from your sails, right? And so that's when, you know, last year I really found myself feeling like that, feeling like the wind has been knocked out of me and not sure I wanted to get up. I didn't want to get out of bed anymore. I didn't want to go to the shop anymore. And, you know, so Ken helped just like, let's scale this back. Let's just do one day a week. You have time to kind of 
find things again. So I started writing again. I started doing my coffee doodles again. And and I started like really um, and finishing, you know, a book. And, and I started just kind of finding my way through my six-step process. And um, and here I am. <laughs> right? So, so that's really, you know, it, it kind of comes back to it. Um, it really comes back to this, these six steps, you know, f- identifying what's important to me. And, and that becomes the compass that guides me out of these dark spaces, having goals, having my big bulky desires and aspirations. I wanted to finish a book. I got there. I wanted to, you know, I've been wanting to do a podcast again for a long time. I, I used to co-host with uh, a guy named Dave Wiskus on a show called Unprofesh. And I loved, I loved it. I was a co-host for only like 25 episodes, I think episode 74 through 100, but I loved Loved the experience of it, and um, and then I was a co-host with my friend Daniel Steinberg on um, Tiny Challenges. We did five episodes of that, and it's just it's it's a hard thing uh, to maintain sometimes. So I'm trying again a few years later. I've been wanting to do it again for a few years, but you know what? I just buckled down. I was like, you know what? Let's just do this. Let's uh, let's dig in, and we'll figure it out as we go. So here we are. All right. So that is how. Um, you know, for me, tiny challenges and the whole process really that we've walked through on the previous four episodes, but led up to having the space to to see Zia's drawing and, you know, actively say, hey, let's do something with this. I have time because I created that time for myself. And that's what it really comes down to. If I hadn't done that, if I'd been too busy or, you know, just kind of brushed off that drawing as like we did with most of them, you know, I have cardboard boxes in my garage full of their artwork from their childhood. But if, it, you know, this, this took it a step further because I had time, I had time and creativity happens when you have time. And so, yeah, it came from there and, and and that's it, right? Like, that's what this is all about. That's what this story that I'm sharing over the course of a season of 13 episodes is all about. And with that, it's time for the very short community piece of the show. I mentioned early on that I have this mug. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, I think I introduced something called Mug Memories because Robert asked, what kind of coffee are we having with Jamie? Today, we're having Taster's Choice Coffee Crystals in a beautiful owl mug featuring, you know, the owl was designed by an artist named Anne Bensley. And um, I am including a link in the show notes to Anne Bensley's Instagram and Redbubble pages. And um, here's the cool thing that ties back to picture this clothing. So in my days of working at the shop and hand cutting every single item that comes through our door um, before it goes to Wilson for sewing, um, I would see these amazing pieces come through. And it was usually like, they really stand out. They're not like our normal kid art. Yes, we do adult sizes and stuff like that. But um, it wasn't your, you know, usual kid art, like has, you know, there's this, you usually see a lot of the same kinds of amazing kid art. And these were different. These were like, these are amazing. You just have to check out our work and see for yourself. But these really vibrant, strong designs would come through and they were always like in multiples. It was never like one or two. It was like three or six or 10 items at once and just cool designs. So, um, you know, I looked up her name in the hem (laughs) and I found her name and then I Googled her and then I found her on Instagram and um, her artwork is really 
I, I just, I really like her style. I like the way it makes me feel. I love her color palettes and I feel like it just meets me. It meets me where I am and I, I, I appreciate that. And so um, anyway, a couple weeks ago, Anne posted on her Instagram account, a photo of her husband holding a mug with a picture of the owl on it. And, and the owl was one of her designs. And um, I was just like, oh my gosh. And she mentioned that she'd created a store on Redbubble and uh, that her link was in her bio. And so I went <laughs> through the little steps there and I found my owl mug and she's got a bunch of other stuff on there. And she doesn't know that I'm talking about her on my show today. So, and um, I'm going to post, you know, I did post this on Instagram. If you happen to see that, Hello, I love your work. Thank you. <laughs> so, so Anne, who was a customer of Picture This Clothing, I am now a customer of Anne. And um, I really, like, I believe in supporting small uh, business, small companies, small artists, you know, or big artists who are independent. Um, anyway, so yeah, I, I have posted a picture of that on my Coffee with Jamie Instagram. If you're interested in checking that out, um, it's the photo of it is in the disaster that was a part of last week with all the tech challenges I was having. I actually knocked over my cup of coffee and created an amazing stain, which is sort of funny because I do coffee stain doodles too, right? So it's, it created a massive uh, piece for me to work on slowly over time. So I would love for you to take a minute and go check out Anne's stuff. If it strikes you, give her some likes, you know, if it, give her some, a little support in whatever way you can, you know, likes, kind words, shares. And if you feel so inclined, make a purchase. That's completely up to you. I'm not trying to push sales on anyone. That's not what this show is ever about. Um, but yeah, so um, the last, the last little bit here is that I would like to encourage you to reach out to me. Um, ultimately, I think what I'd love for the show to become is less about me um, sharing my experiences entirely, which is kind of what I'm, I'm doing. But I love it when you share questions and when you share stories or, or things that you're stuck with. You can remain anonymous if you'd like, but I really love it when people share with me. I love it when people say, wait, how did you work through grief? Um, how did you handle this? Or how did you handle that? I love answering questions, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I also love when people say, you know what, I was stuck and this is what worked for me. Um, or I am stuck and I have no idea where to start. Those are the things that I love to engage with and I would love to do more of on this show. So if you would like to reach out to me, go to the show link on my website, coffeewithjamie.com. Poke around there a little bit. You'll see a big fat email button, um, but there's also some social media links on there. Uh, reach out in the way that you feel most comfortable. You will reach me. It's just me. <laughs> Let me know in your message if it's okay to share. And if, you know, if you don't want to, that's okay. Um, but please let me know that. And if you have a way that you'd like to be addressed, it's social media handle, first name, last initial, whatever you be specific. That's how I'll handle it. Um, and then a special note, I, I touched on this earlier on, but this show is in no way meant, um, to be construed or substituted as psychological counseling, psychotherapy, mental health counseling, or any type of uh, medical advice. The information I share here is based on my life and work experiences, uh, been through some stuff, but the purpose is really just to, um, you know, offer options, ideas, 
help maybe um, in making changes to your life through supportive guidance and hopefully a little bit of inspiration. If you feel like you're in a crisis at any level or need professional help, I've left some information in the show notes just for you, or that's just a Google away. So, um, you know, it's, it's there and easily accessible for you. Uh, how to listen. If you want to listen to the show, you want to share it, that would be huge. Sharing it with friends helps me. Um, liking it. If you listen to it, not live, um, but on one of your favorite podcast networks, you can find me there by searching Coffee with Jamie or start searching for Jamie Finney. And remember, my name is spelled a little differently. It's got two E's just like coffee and uh, it's A before I. So J-A-I mee.com jamie coffee with jamie.com um so you can reach out to me or sorry you can like the podcasts when you find them and listen to them that supports you can share um you can give feedback whatever you like to do um so yeah or you can listen live every week on the voice of america network there's a link directly to that also on the show page of jamie or sorry, coffeewithjb.com, uh, that website. So holy macaroni, it has been, uh, it's been a week. And I want to thank you for joining me today. If you uh, made it through this journey with me, uh, I feel like third time was a charm, worked a little better, felt a little better anyway. Be sure to come back and join me next week for another cup or two of coffee. Um, we're going to be ready for step five, which I call action packed in, and, and that's spelled P A C T. And I'll tell you why when we get there. So, um, thank you for joining me. I will catch you next week. Thank you for joining and we'll see you later. Thank you for taking the time for coffee with Jamie. Please join Jamie Finney again next Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time for another cup of discussion and wisdom on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll see you then. 